I'm John Pryor, and this is a special edition of Georgian's Impact Podcast. I'm an avid podcast listener, and just as I've been inundated with COVID-19 emails from every company that has my email address, I've also been quite overwhelmed and pleased by podcast hosts announcing that they're in a closet, in their bathroom, in their parents' house, and more. And these are just great examples of how fortunate we are to have technology that enables some of us to continue to do our jobs while staying safe and protecting others by sheltering in place. My heart and best wishes goes out to those who aren't that fortunate and are providing vital services to our global community. Delivery people, retail clerks, healthcare professionals, just to name a few. Thank you. Stay safe. Right now, I am coming to you from my home in Vermont. For me, this is standard operating procedure. And with me today is my friend, my colleague, and now my boss, Ben Wild. Now, Ben is Georgian's VP of Marketing, but that's not why we're talking. We're talking as Ben lives in New Zealand. And today's broadcast is special because Ben and I have been part of Georgian since his early days, and we have a lot of experience being remote. Ben was remote even before working for Georgian at times, so between the two of us, we've got more than a couple of decades of working from home. So this is a perfect time to step away from emerging technologies, machine learning, AI, and really talk about what it means to be working at home. Now, it wouldn't be fair to say it's a breeze, but we've learned a lot from working together and working with a larger team in Toronto. And our first topic today will be on being effective working at home. And in our case, it's not just being effective at your job. It's also about being a person in your household, a resident, a parent, a partner. It takes a lot. And for the past couple of years, Ben's been managing a talented team of professionals and me. I'm looking forward to chatting with Ben about what it takes to be a leader far, far away. Now, please don't think of this as uh, like a short-term podcast for the moment, because it's not. Our work lives are going to change AC after Corona. What we're doing today is likely to affect much of what we do moving forward. And we really do hope you find this discussion useful. So, Ben, COVID-19 is the new context, but working at home is an old issue. How much more difficult are things are now than, say, they were at the end of last year? For sure, at a minimum, I see a harder mental load. What's your thoughts? I think things are probably, for those of us who are already working remotely or working from home, things are probably easier, if anything, because now more of our colleagues are you know, doing the same thing. So there's more empathy, there's more focus, they're all living the dream, whether they wanted to or not. I think, though, that you make a fair point, which is this isn't really a, the huge work from home experiment that's being described as because it's work from home, plus the added stress of the pandemic. Where do you think we'll be when all this is said and done? This is a forcing function that is going to make Working remotely for those that uh, want to do it in the future, and I'm sure there'll be some people that never want to have to work from home again after (laughs) this uh, next few weeks or months. But for those of us that do work from home, I think we'll find it a lot easier to do so. And I think there'll be a lot more understanding of how productive it is and what is required to support that style of work. So let's talk about some of the differences when it comes to interacting with others. And we'll start with a kind of our team first. Do you see any great changes or is it business as usual when you're having, say, formal meetings, staff meetings and the like? I think people are making more of an effort from a remote worker perspective. It feels more balanced. We're all on Zoom. We're all having fun. We're all making an effort versus, you know, you and I maybe 
connecting into a call that is predominantly focused on the people that are in the room. And so I think that's a difference. And I think there's definitely more of an effort to have fun. I mean, we're all playing around with the, the snap camera filters or the Zoom virtual backgrounds or whatever. Everyone's having a bit of fun with it and trying to lighten the mood and making a real effort to connect with people through the medium of video conferencing. I do like your point, and I think you're right. If there's a conference room full of a whole bunch of people and a handful of people remote, it's easy to forget them. Even if their faces are up on Zoom, it's still a bit of the dog wagging the tail, and it's hard to kind of get in. So you're right. When this is all done, maybe we'll move from a checkerboard of faces on Zoom to the old model, but the awareness of what it means to be remote should change. Now, that could have a fundamental change in how most businesses work. So let's talk a bit about management by walking around. So how do we think about informal outreach? Is it sufficient to just slack somebody and say, got five minutes? Do you need a formal look up on people's calendar? Are they busy or not? What's your thoughts on how do you manage that and how we all should think about that? Well, I do think messaging applications, whether it's Slack or Microsoft Teams or something else that's a bit more informal, but more real time is really important. It doesn't feel the same if you're using email. Calling people to see how they are is also, you know, it's a big interruption. So I do think those messaging apps like Slack and Microsoft Teams and others have a really important role to play. That's how I do it. I like to check in on people that way and try and make a point of checking in on people, not just in my team as well. And I, I also think checking in on people, you know, starting off on the call and asking people how they're going is, is a good habit that we should all be doing anyway. And I see that happening a lot more as well, just taking time to chat with people. And, and I think that's another shift that we've certainly made on our team is a lot of our conversations as a team or even one-on-ones are more about how other people are doing and less about reporting back on work. There's plenty of other ways to report back on work. You know, We're putting our daily stand-up information, as you know, in Slack. We don't need to do that when we meet as a team. We can share a joke or something instead uh, when we're actually talking to each other. I'm also finding, and I really like this, some of these unplanned connections. On the personal side, I'm reaching out to friends more often, having more phone calls. And I'm finding it professionally as well that I was chatting with somebody on Slack about some business. And we both said, you know, we haven't, we haven't really caught up in a while. Why don't we just chat? So, you know, tomorrow morning, we're going to grab 50 minutes and catch up. I saw uh, friends of mine uh, here in New Zealand, one living in one island and one in another, uh, had dinner together last night where they set the table and then they put a laptop at one end of the table. And so two households had dinner together while video conferencing. I thought that was quite a clever idea. We're now officially in full lockdown here in New Zealand, so you're not allowed out of your home unless you're going out for a small amount of exercise or going to the supermarket or doctor. And so I think a lot more people will be doing things like that. And I've found over the years that that's actually, it's a really nice way of spending time with people who are not near you is to just have you know, a Zoom call on or a, a FaceTime video call on while you're doing other things. You don't have to be just talking to people. So, you know, John, you and I have over the years sat and just worked on stuff together, right? And just both been there with the noise in the background. And that's, um, that's another way of having some of those less formal connections because you're used to having that, right? You're used to sitting in an office. You're used to hearing other people around you. There's actually no reason that has to stop when you're working remote. 
Right, right. Okay, so Ben, let's talk a little bit about meeting etiquette. Look, sometimes I'm a bit grubby and I'm sitting in a club chair and I haven't shaved yet and you come on and you're in a blazer. (laughs) How come? (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't always do it, but I do sometimes feel like I want to get dressed and put a maybe a blazer on over a t-shirt. I might just have jeans and and like slippers on. You know, I, I enjoy getting dressed for work, but I don't always do it. And talking to you in a hoodie today. I've been wearing hoodies a lot more recently, <laughs> partly because, you know, we feel much more like a tech company these days than a venture capital firm. So it's uh, sort of going with that trend. But yeah, I think it makes sense to go through the routine and the ritual of getting dressed, especially if you're new to working remotely. It helps create some of that separation. Uh, you're putting your armor on, if you like, and you, you're going off to do your thing. And then when you finish working for the day, you can take it all off and put your laptop away. And especially for those of us that live in small spaces, maybe don't have a, the luxury of having a study where we can go and work. You know, maybe you're working in your bedroom or you're working at the kitchen table. I think part of that dressing routine could be helpful in creating some separation between work and life and, you know, finding uh, ways to make sure you just don't work all the time because Contrary to, I guess, some popular management misconceptions over the years, folks that work from home don't underwork. They tend to overwork. And it's the battle with working remotely, working from home, is really to put some boundaries around things and not end up just working the whole time. Just to close on the blazer piece, and it's a reminder, it's good to have your camera on. And I, I kind of like that your message about you know putting the armor on. This is your part of a team. You know, even making that extra effort is seen by everybody else. So let's talk about work life a little bit. And I think just to get started, it's, it's a good contrast because there's no right answer for everybody. There's never a single answer for people. When I was an exec, and I would always work late at night. I felt really guilty sometimes if I'd send an email out and one of my junior people would respond to me because I felt like I forced them to it. So often after, say, 9, 9.30, whatever, sometime I'd go offline, my emails would stay local and then I'd resync up in the morning so that I wasn't forcing them to work. So that's what I was doing then. And here you are now in a time zone, I don't know, 18 hours off. And I, as a part-timer, always want to be responsive. Uh, So it's different. Your days are different than my days. You and I always knew over the years that Sunday nights were perfect for me and it was your Monday morning. And we worked well on that. But talk a bit more about kind of whether you need to stick to a schedule. You were often up at 5 a.m. for meetings. Uh, I think it probably took a while for you to train the team in Canada not to book morning meetings that you needed to be part of. Take me through kind of the days and how you managed all that. Flexibility all around is quite important. So I do, because of the time difference, I do make sure that I, I start a bit earlier so I can have an adequate window even during my winter here when it's summer in US and Canada and there's really only a four or five hour reasonable window of work where we overlap. Uh, so you know, if I was to start work at a normal time, like seven or eight or nine in the morning, it'd be literally one or no hours of overlap. So that's just a you know, practical reality of me choosing to live in New Zealand, having to accommodate the East Coast time zone a little bit. Uh, For myself, the way that I create boundaries is interesting. I tend to stop 
sort of mid to late afternoon, at least and go and do some exercise and I might come back to things later in, in my evening. I get this forced structure where I have meetings in the morning and then everyone else is kind of done. And so I have quiet time where I can work in the afternoon. So that's kind of the basic structure of my day. But I do find myself at the moment, especially with everything that's going on, current situation, I'm, I'm working uh, my Mondays as well as your Fridays. So I end up working six days a week. So what I had been doing when that's been busy in the past, I've been getting out for a, you know, Friday afternoon, my time ride or a Monday afternoon bike ride or something. I think it just got a little bit more difficult, but it's still something I will maintain as grabbing those uh, extra times during the day for a bit of exercise. So that's partly how I do it. My team is also quite accommodating and that's they will occasionally work, do some evening stuff because that also suits them to maybe have a bit of time off during the day. And especially now with everyone working from home, there's a, a real need for some of the team members to do a bit of work. They feel like they want to get a bit of work done when the kids are in bed and they'll take a bit more time during the day when the kids are awake. That's a great one. That's the classic. If you have an employee and your employee has a 3 p.m. soccer game, tell your employee, go to the soccer game. You know you're going to get your time back in spades later that night from a dedicated employee. I think that's a very important point is that when working in this sort of situation, we've got to focus on the output, we've got to focus on what's being achieved, not time at the desk. And it's not about whether they're at the desk from nine to five. That's kind of pointless. What needs to be focused on is what is the most important work they need to be doing right now. And do they understand it? Do they have everything they need to do that? And then like, what's the outcomes and the output from that, not the number of hours that was spent on it. And when you start to look at things that way and you trust your employees to get the job done, that makes this remote work thing a lot easier because it's just not practical or it just doesn't work to you know, be checking up on people in terms of hours worked that really need to focus on the outcomes. But it's not just the outcome, which I absolutely respect and agree with. It's also the acknowledgement that there are 24 hours in everyone's day and there are other things to do. I actually talked to a colleague who was remarking to me that it was easier to focus in the office because small child at home was being taken care of by someone else. And now we're working at home. This person's working at home and here's the kid in the other room, maybe crying. And so you have to be particularly sensitive. I had a meeting with another colleague today that we realized we didn't need, we were going to rebook it. And I actually said, oh, you got 45 minutes free. Go hang out with your daughter. It's not about, like you say, not hours at the desk. And it's also not just work product, but it's work and life product that needs to be thought through. Well, it is. And that was always the case with working from home is like finding better ways of measuring performance that don't relate to the amount of effort, but more the output. But right now it's especially true is that we have to realize that and this is my point at the beginning of the podcast. This is not really a mass work from home experiment. It's a work from home with the kids at home with the potentially your partner, spouse or flatmate roommates at home as well. Everyone at home, grandma, whoever it is, and that makes it particularly difficult. And I think that's important to remember that people are dealing with that and then people are dealing with the stress of the situation as well, as well as the adjustment to working from home. So it's not just a matter of focusing on outputs. It's also focusing on what really matters right now and deferring as much other stuff as you can 
And then again, if you want to have productive time when you can work at home, it's a good idea to invest some time during the day and helping out around the home, doing some dishes, putting on washing and not trying to be in your cone of silence for eight hours. That's not a sustainable model. You need to be a, um, an active participant in helping the household. And in exchange for that, other members of the household might be more willing to help look after the kids or whatever when you really do need some quiet time to get some work done or do a call. So Ben, just to wrap this up, that we really haven't talked much about, we've, we've touched on them, but what are some of the tools and your thoughts on the tools that we've been working with? What we've gone through recently at Georgian is that we had a lot of the tools in place, but we didn't necessarily have all the processes. So some of the tools you know, we've been using over the years, you've mentioned some of them, we're doing this on Zoom. We use Slack pretty heavily. We still use email, but Slack is our predominant internal communication mechanism. But then Slack is great at some things and terrible at others. So we use ClickUp now for tracking tasks. I've started using that. To your point earlier, John, about not just firing things off in the middle of the night, I'm finding ClickUp now quite useful too. From within Slack, just to fire off a to-do to someone's work queue so they can look at it in the morning and you don't have to have it, you know, a message from their boss sitting there at 11 p.m. at night on a Sunday it can go into the queue and they can check it. So I think technology has a, a huge role to play here. It's not just the video conferencing, it's the video conferencing, it's the messaging, it's the project and task management piece. It's the simple things like using shared documents like a, a Google Doc instead of a Word document. I know Word has like real-time sharing and stuff like that now, but having that functionality of working on a, a Google document with someone else, seeing them type, you typing your bits, can really add to that sense of connectedness that, you know, you get, you've, you're there on video, you're there and you can hear the person, but then you can both, you know, co-create something is um, I think very helpful as well. So the technology really does matter and whatever the set of stuff is that you use will vary by organization, but think about that and think about how you use it. I think it makes a huge difference. Beautiful. So we've done a nice evolution in terms of working with colleagues and supporting as team leaders, but you know, we're now got you in a real formal leadership position. So take me through, and I, and I like the comments about results and how we talked about balancing work life and that expectation. So what do you think the biggest difference for you was managing just yourself in New Zealand versus managing a team that's remote to you now? Great question. I think the starting point for me has been to make sure that I'm starting from a position of trust with my staff and giving them the responsibility and the authority to, with my support, figure out what the role needs to be and then really take ownership over that. And that then helps them stay motivated, stay focused. So, I guess it's probably I've had a bit of a bias in my hiring profile to find folks that are self-motivated in that sense, you know, because I knew that they would need to be in order to be successful because I can't be there sitting next to them, standing over them the whole time. So I've had to approach the whole process of hiring and, you know, and then bringing people on board in that, in that context of me not being there all the time. So I think that's been the starting point. I'm a big fan of Liz Wiseman's work in the book Multipliers and Rookie Smarts. As you know, a lot of key principles in there that Wiseman talks about around, you know, 
delegating appropriately down to folks, empowering them to take ownership. And I think we've seen that on our team, I think, John, that when you do that, people can be highly effective. And so my role is really in supporting the team. I'm there at their service to help them get stuff done, be successful, make sure they have their development plans in place, make sure they are you know, getting all the resources they need, the help they need, all that sort of stuff, as well as you know, challenging their thinking and challenging them on stuff as well. And that's, I guess, the evolution I've taken because to your point, the first 10 years that I was with Georgian, most of the time was I was managing contractors or third parties and others, but not employees. And then the last couple of years, we've built a team out. And uh, so it's been that shift for me. And that's the approach I've taken. Now, this may not be, and it probably isn't relevant to your current team, but let's kind of stay theoretical a little bit. So I think it's important as a manager to work with all your folks. There's a human nature to work with people you're more comfortable with, and you have to force yourself as a manager to work with people sometimes you're not more comfortable with. But let's stay on this trust theme. What about working with someone that you really haven't built that uh, the, the system of trust yet? What do you do? How are you going to work on that? Well, I find it's often really useful to work on a project together or some sort of task or output or something, right? So some sort of shared work product is a really good way of getting to know someone. So whether that person's on your team, like working for you or you're working for them or they're an adjacent colleague, I think having something to collaborate on is a great way to get to know someone. And then just also just taking the time to get to know them personally. Uh, I've also always spent a fair bit of time in the office. As you know, I do go up to Toronto five or six times a year. That's now not possible. So as we onboard new people, when new people join the team, we've got to find other ways of getting to know them, spending you know, time with them. But yeah, building that personal relationship is part of it and building that work, you know, doing something with them rather than just meeting them in meetings. I guess I could see you on a Zoom with the computer on the other side of the table and a beer in your hand and a beer in the new employee's hand. <laughs> a kombucha maybe for me. There yeah. you go. <laughs> you know, you just have to work at it. You just have to work at building that, that trust. And then trust is a two-way street. So um, what do you do to engender your team's trust in you? Great question. I think it's transparency, being honest, being upfront being direct, you know, sharing appropriately, but not trying to play games with information, but laying things out as they are. And and I think, you know, that directness and honesty goes a long way. I think it's important when you are remote to make sure that you listen really well and ask good questions and then are upfront with stuff and provide good feedback. I mean, that's also true of any sort of management uh, relationship. But I, I think that's a, a really good starting point. And sometimes you've got a higher level position in the company than the people. And so your job, when you look left and right across your organization, you see things that the team doesn't see. And of course, the team has to look left and right and work comfortably without management guidance. That's what makes a good team. So how often do you focus on thinking about, let me pass some corporate messaging down versus let me do the bottoms up, see how things are going. Obviously, that all needs to happen. But what's your sense of the balance between the two, top down versus bottoms up here? Well, I think it all comes back to supporting your team to get to the right outcomes, sharing a broader perspective as part of that, and working with them on what they're working on, giving them that additional context that they might not have is is really important. And then, of course, they're the ones doing the actual work, right? So in the end, they have to make the call 
on how to incorporate that corporate context into what they're doing. I think it's important not to fall into the temptation of directing folks. You know, you've got this additional, as you put it, looking left and right, maybe the strategy of the organization, not pushing that down too hard, making sure that it's a, a discussion and that they in the end have 51% of the vote, if you like. They need to decide um, how that changes what they're doing. As soon as you stop doing that, they lose ownership in the process and then you don't get as much of their discretionary efforts and you don't get their best work and their best thinking. So I'm conscious of that. I'm quite a forceful personality. I am quite direct. So I am constantly trying to make sure that I walk the right line between sharing and also challenging them without uh, having, you know, pushing them in a particular direction because they're the ones that are closest to the tasks and the work that needs to be done, not me. So, Great discussion. I think trust matters. I think how you inspect what you communicate really matters. Any final thoughts on what it takes to really work with your team now? Being conscious about how you approach all this. And I think that's what's changed recently, John, is that we're now very conscious about the fact that we're on video. So we are trying harder. We're trying to check in on people. We are more respectful of people when they speak up. So there's all this process and cultural behavioral change which is very positive it's occurring we haven't changed any technologies but we're changing how we use them and i think that optimistically will help going forward once we return to a whatever the post corona landscape looks like some of those behaviors will get codified in how we work and i think we will be better for it you know, I may not be in the long term, months down the road, I may not see people with cats on their lap anymore. And we may or may not see snap camera photos with people with unicorn heads, but we are going to be in a different world. And I think this discussion was great and just helping everybody get themselves a bit anchored and realize the world they're in today and the world they're going to be with tomorrow. So Ben, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, John. Thanks for having me. 